It's going to take care of everything. In fact, we started a journey 21 weeks ago with that theme. We, we started a book called The Story, and we're in the last chapter of the Old Testament today. But I want to go back to the very first chapter of, about the beginning, about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Noah and how God loved us so much that as soon as there was rebellion, he was Johnny on the spot. He showed up and he clothed their shame. He clothed their nakedness. And how did he do that? An animal had to be, sh uh, uh, had to be killed, right? And blood had to be shed in order for there to be a covering and of course, we all know that, that that pointed towards Jesus. And then we, we had the story about Noah living in a world that had gone crazy against God. And he went into the ark, and God made a judgment on the world and started over. But when Noah got out of the ark, was he sinless? That same sinful nature that he went into the ark with he came out of the ark with. And it's not too long that his great-grandson is starting the same way of Cain against God, against rebellion. And so God, knowing everything, had an ultimate plan that he was going to send us Jesus, who, yes, would take care of the sin issue. And we're all glad that it is by grace we're saved, right? Woohoo! We do not have to fear death. Jill did not fear death. She was in pain and was looking forward to the day where she was going to be out of pain and be in the arms of Jesus. As a Christian, we should have no fear of death because it's not up to us. We can't add anything to the cross. Jesus did it all, and it is by His grace we are saved. But He didn't stop there. He was inviting people as he preached to start to live in the kingdom now. That he wanted to not only save us from ourselves, but to change the very nature of our heart. And so the older I get, and you can ask Tammy, <laughs> it's a little risky about that, but the older I get, I hope that I'm acting more and more like Jesus. That my heart, my, my capacity to love is growing because of the Holy Spirit living inside of me that I'm growing and learning. And so in the very first chapter of the story, we get this big picture that God loves us and chases us. And He's going to provide a way for us to live with Him again. And then we went over the Tower of Babel. We went over Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. And we went through the Ten Commandments. We wandered for 40 years in the desert. We went through Joshua, Ruth, Samuel, uh, Samson, Saul, King David, Solomon, the divided kingdom, God's judgment on Israel's idolatry, captivity, and then their return to the homeland. And now they're back. There was a wave that came and... And they rebuilt the temple, funded by a foreign government, by the way. That's interesting that the Persian government funded the building of the temple. And then there's another wave that comes back, and they find the Word of God. And they're like, look, we have God's Word. And then another wave, again, funded by a foreign government, they rebuild the walls. And now we're in the very last book of the Old Testament. So you have your Bibles? You need to turn to Malachi. Malachi. 
Malachi is right before Matthew. So if you get to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you just go one book back and you'll be in Malachi. But Malachi, you wouldn't think that it would be, well, you might think that God sent his children back and they're going to go, woohoo, everything's good, we got God back in our lives. But something has happened. Something has happened because, yeah, God's people at this moment have stopped worshiping idols, but they aren't pursuing a relationship with him either. They're just going through the motions. They're just doing the rituals. They're not interested in a relationship with God, so they just do the minimum. Now, on your outline, you have apostasy. That's a fancy word. That means that you're just not doing what God wants you to do, and you're in rebellion, and you're, you're just doing your own thing. You're doing it your way. It's the old, I don't know, commercials of the, nine, the, the 70s, you know, Go for all the gusto, I did it my way, that kind of thinking, it's all about me. Maybe that's the 90s, maybe that's the aughts, maybe that's today that we just are in it for ourselves. But they've now even gone one step further. They've gone from apostasy to apathy. Eh, You just don't care. Just don't care about your relationship with God. You know, he's up there, I'm down here, I'm just doing my thing. Yeah, God told me to go to the temple, so I go to the temple. God told me to sacrifice, so I do my sacrifice. And he told me to pray once or twice a day, so I pray once or twice a day. And I just kind of rotely go through the routine. But that's not what the story's about. The story is that God wants a relationship with you, right? He wants a personal relationship with you. So he's going to send this prophet, and his name is Malachi. And his name actually means my messenger. And his message, stop going through the motions. So let's get personal for just a moment. Have you ever entered into spiritual apathy? Yeah. Where suddenly you're reading the word and it's just like dry toast, Right? You're, you're just, your prayer life seems like it's not on fire, it's a wet blanket. You can just seem like God is so far away, and I'm over here, and it's not bothering me, <laughs> which is not a good thing to not be bothered. Tammy, would you be bothered if I didn't come home for a few years? <laughs> you would be very upset, wouldn't you? Yes, you would. Because we have a personal relationship. And see, the people aren't bothered that they're just going through the motions, but God is bothered. So he sends Malachi and he says, You guys need to you guys need to get get with it. We've got the word, we've got church, we've got prayer, but they just all add up all to indifference. Now, Lawrence, your transmission is going out in your truck, right? So you hit the gas and guess what? It doesn't actually go up the hill. It's just slipping. Those bands are just slipping. That's what spiritual apathy is. When we try to just go through the motions and we're not getting traction, the band isn't holding, and we just are going backwards even though we're just doing the, doing the church thing. Can I say that in church? Can we just do the church thing and realize that, you know, the more I'm going to church, the further away I seem from God. What's going on? My heart's not engaged. My heart's not in. And that's exactly what was happening to the Jews. 
They were giving them the minimum, yet at the same time, they were saying, Lord, bless us, bless us, bless us. I really don't want to be close to you. And famine and drought had come along. Now, we don't live in an agricultural society like they did, but when a famine comes along and a drought comes along, it's not good. That means nobody's eaten well. That, nobody is. And the root of the problem was their relationship with God. And when you're in the spiritual slide, when your heart isn't into the relationship, it shows up in the way you live. It did for the Jews. So how did they get to this place of spiritual apathy? Number one, this is just a hash mark. It's not a fill in the blank. It's just a hash mark on your outline. Offer God lousy worship. That's it. Most of the priests and the people were offering, and let's just turn there for a second. Look at, look at uh, Malachi chapter 1. Look at verse 8. Look what these guys were doing. They were offering God blind animals in their sacrifice. And he says, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? Or when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not e evil? And then I love God's sarcasm, so maybe sarcasm's a little loud in the Bible. <laughs> we talked about that on, on Tuesday night. He says, go offer those to your governor and see what happens. You give the leftovers, the dregs, the worst of what you got to God, and you don't think that I'm not noticing? Second thing they did, and this is against the priest, look at chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It says this, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instructions. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So offer God lousy worship, compromise the word of God. Uh, drop down to verse 11 in chapter 2. It says, Judah has been faithless and an abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. And he has married the daughter of a foreign god. Act like the nations around you. And then in chapter 3, verse 5, he says this, that because of the people's immorality, God's going to judge them. And number five is this selfish attitude. And look at verses, beginning at verse 8 of chapter 3. He says this, Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, How have we robbed you, God, in your tithes and your contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fare to bear. Bottom line is, is they just said, you know what, God, I'm going to give you my leftovers and I'm not going to trust you to bring in the harvest. And so when you let spiritual apathy set in, 
it almost becomes like a business deal. Um, becomes obligation, uh, bad Bible interpretation. You yoke yourself with the coral, uh, the culture. You become a little immoral, and you tip and not tithe, and you approach your relationship with God like it's some sort of deal. Like, let's make a deal with Monty Hall. How do you even remember Monty Hall and let's make a deal? Tammy, what's in that tote right now? If you show me a $5 bill, I'll give you $10,000, you know. And, and instead of, wait, aren't we supposed to be all past that? Aren't we supposed to be in a personal relationship with the Lord? That when we wake up in the morning, the first thing that we're doing is we're talking to our spouse, we're talking to our kids, but we're also talking to the Lord because he's near us and he's not far from us. And we have this ability to commune with him. In fact, we're going to have communion here at the end of our service, and it's a time to talk about your relationship with the Lord. It's very personal. If we go through communion like it's a ritual... Like it's, we're just going through the motions and our heart's not engaged. Do you think God's going to be happy with that? Do you think he's pleased with that? No. God loves you more than you could ever hope to imagine. The older you get, the more love you should be seeing that God has for you. And that motivates us to love him back. And so it's just this incredible personal relationship. God says, I want a real relationship with you. When you get in trouble, who do you call? And don't say Ghostbusters. But when you, seriously, when you get in trouble, who do you call? When you're down and you're fighting depression and you're fighting discouragement, you have something bad happen to you in your life, you have a bad day at work, who do you seek out? God says, I'm here for you. I'm here. I'm here to comfort you. I'm here to hear your thoughts on it so I can navigate those thoughts so that they become righteous thoughts. I'm here for you. But tendency is we, we go to these bad coping devices. And maybe they're not bad coping devices, but they're not the devices that God wants because God wants to be first in your life. He loves you. He is crazy about you i'm not so no i'm crazy about you too but god's really crazy about you he's seen how ugly you can be he sees all of you and yet he still loves you he adores you so much that he sends people into your life that says stop the spiritual slide God says to the Jews, I want authenticity. I don't want to be married to someone who doesn't trust me. Someone who is aloof. Someone who is disconnected. I want fellowship. I want community. I want to be trusted by you. And I want to trust you. So let's get to our actual text. It's chapter 3. We're going to pick it up at verse 13. And we're going to look at two kinds of people. The one kind of people that it's all about them and another kind of people that's all about Jesus or all about God. So let's begin at verse 13 and let's listen to the tender side of God's heart. 
says this, and this is the Lord speaking. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. And then you say, well, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed and evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. This, this verse in chapter 13, let me say it a different way because I have various translations. God says, you've said terrible things about me. Your words have been arrogant to me. You've said harsh things against my character. You have said some pretty horrible things about me. That's what God is telling them. Like, you guys are saying some pretty nasty things about me and my character. You've said it's, it's worthless to serve God because nothing good happens for me. And all the people that don't, they seem to prosper. You, you ever realize that? You ever see, you see the, some people in our society that are just so against God and yet they make the money and they get the fame and they get the glory and, they, and, and nothing, their, their transmission never goes out. You know, their, their kids are always perfect. And, and you say, why, if I'm serving God, do all my circumstances are a trial and a tribulation and those people are so far away from you, God, and nothing happens to you? And that you can see the hands on the hips. So what's the benefit in me having a relationship with you if I'm always getting the short end of the stick? And God says, those are pretty harsh words. Those are horrible things that you're saying about me. It's foolish to serve the all-powerful God because we don't get anything from obeying Him. Well, here... This is what those verses talk about, and it's the very first fill in the blank. If we have an attitude that's wrong, it's going to sound like this. It's about me, God. It's about me. And I have a bad attitude towards our relationship because you're not holding up your end of the bargain. I mean, isn't it common when we come to church, somebody comes home and... Uh, and, and, and we have to fight this. this. This is something that's just so ingrained in our brain that we think church is a place where we're supposed to come and get something. So if I'm going to get to see Lucy today, and Lucy may say, how is church, Rob? And I have to evaluate. Well, and this is how we normally do it. What did I get out of church today? Did I get anything out of church today? If I got something out of church today, then I'll tell Lucy, oh, church was great because I got something out of it. But the question is, is what did God get out of it? What did you give today? So if Lucy asked, how is church today? Instead of going to that default position thinking, well, what did I get? No, 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 no. We're supposed to ask, what did God get out of your worship today? Do, do you go home and God just patting you on the back and saying, your worship was awesome today? Because that's what we should be sh shooting for. Questioning God's righteousness about evil people prosper and God does nothing, that's not true. God will do something about it. 
And yes, we live in a fallen world. And God does not owe us anything for our presence. Does that make sense? Now, look what the people that were good said. Go to verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. That's kind of cool that the church, so to speak, got together and they talked. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my uh, treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. So the second fill in the blank is this. It is about you, God. Not, the good news is, is not everybody goes through the motion. You, okay, let, let me pick on uh, Catherine and Peter. Can I pick on you guys for just a second? In a moment, we're going to serve them communion, right? And both are going to take of the bread. Both are going to take of the juice. But we don't know what's going on in their hearts, do we? We have no idea what's going on in their hearts. One could be aloof. One could care less. I'm not saying that. but you know, And, and you could be thinking about a pot roast that you have cooking at home, right? You could be thinking about tomorrow's troubles today. You can be thinking about uh, so-and-so had a spider on them. And true story, I sat down once in church and this lady had a beehive hair cut. This was in the 1960s. And I saw a spider crawl down that hair. And I was like, oh, I could have been thinking about that. You could be thinking about anything. Nobody knows, nobody can tell what's going on when you go through a ritual or you're going through the motions of, of reading your Bible and praying and all that. But God does. God does. And God says, not everybody's going through the motion. The ones that follow me, that have a relationship with me, you guys are mine. You're my treasure. Your name is written in the book. Several times it says about fearing the Lord. And I want you to understand that fearing the Lord is a good thing and not the negative thing that maybe some of us grew up with, that we're supposed to be afraid of God, but we are to fear God. And there's a difference. Being afraid of God means you're afraid to even come into his presence because you're afraid that, you know, he's going to, like, do something to you. Fearing God in the proper sense, you come in humbly. Uh, I've shared this story before. Well, you know, my parents were from Oklahoma. We had five, six kids. One died pre, not prematurely, but not very old. I never got to meet my sister Tina, but I will in heaven. But we lived just a few miles from the Pacific Ocean. My mother, at age seven, would allow me to ride my bicycle down to the ocean, put my bike in the sand, and go play in the waves. No adult supervision. My parents didn't. They're from Oklahoma. They're like, ah, just be safe. But my dad told me this. He said, Robbie, never disrespect the ocean. Well, what are you talking about? He said, always have fear of it. 
if you have fear of the ocean, you'll be safe. Okay, I'm a little kid. What does that mean, Dad? The waves are powerful beyond your understanding. They can take you down. You can hit your head on a rock, on the sand. You can drown in an instant. He says you can go play in the ocean, but never lose respect for its power. That's the same way that concept of fearing God. We can play with God. We can talk to Him like He's our best friend, but at the same time realizing that He is the creator of the universe, that He is all-powerful. And uh, Ian and, and Brock, do you remember that time I had you hold that, that, that rope? And on one side was a friendliness towards God, and on this side there was a total awe and respect of God, and you have to keep that tension and, and that's what God says. He says, I have found some people that love me, that respect me and esteem me. And then verse 1 of chapter 4 says this, For behold, and this answers the question, how come the bad guys always win? How come there are Darth Vaders? How come there are, are people that are out there that always seem to win? And, and evil prospers and the, the people that need the help don't get the help and the people that don't need the help take all the resources. Why is that? Why is there such injustice in our world? God answers that question right here. And then for 400 years there's silence. 400 years of silence and God says this, for behold, the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. I don't know if you've ever seen calves leap from a stall, but it is the cutest thing in the world to see these little guys take their, their steps for the very first time and then scamper about their mom. It is just a beautiful thing. And God says that's what's going to happen. Even though you're weak and vulnerable, you're going to get up and you're going to dance. And you shall tread down the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statues and the rules that I have commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. For behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a curse, some of your versions will say, or with a degree of utter destruction. And here's the fill in the blank. The great day of the Lord, the great day of judgment, is going to reveal your heart. So you think you can fool God by going through all the motions. They'll all come to nothing when the day of judgment comes. God judged the nation through captivity, but God one day is going to judge the individual. So can I encourage you? Don't grow weary of doing right. Keep on. Keep it on. The world may be going crazy, but it doesn't mean you have to be crazy. 
you have an ability to be close to the Lord and keep doing what is right. God says, I'm going to administer justice. I will right the wrongs. Just keep pressing on. The arrogant, they're going to get their comeuppance. God's children are going to receive healing and energy and excitement of joy. Because remember the upper story, God wants to restore fellowship and community. So here's the next fill in the blank. God wants a relationship and not a ritual. I don't know if you raised your family this way, but I raised my family this way. We had dinner every night at 5.30 and we sat around a table. Best decision I ever made. One of the best decisions I've ever made. Quitting the shampoo company was a good, good one. Tammy's saying picking her, asking her was a good one. Coming to Christ as a fourth grader was a good one. Um, but when you sit down as a family and you talk about your day for about a half an hour while you're having a meal, you, you can't recapture those moments. You, you, can't, you can't plan the things that happen when a family comes together and just plays together. And that's what God wants. He wants that relationship. He doesn't just want to feed you. He wants you to come to his table and sit down and tell me about your day. You ever think that God wants to tell somebody about his day? Oh, Rob, you won't believe what I had to do over in North Korea today. You won't have any idea what I had to do in Washington today. Rob, you have no idea what I did. But let's not talk about those things. Let's talk about what I did for you today. And he shares his heart. That's that personal intimacy that, that God wants a relationship. There are things to do. Yeah, you go to church. You're, you pray. You have Bible study. You, you, you go and, and do devotions. You, you have communion. Um, the way I wrote it down in my notes is you don't go through the motions or you'll get motion sickness. <laughs> right? These are real routines and rituals that we do, but as long as our heart's engaged in it, it becomes something beautiful, isn't it? Here's the conclusion. God loves you and desires to be worshipped you. And yeah, just it, it sounds so cliche-ish. Go to the next slide. It sounds so cliche-ish. And that is, remember my word. That's what he told the people. Remember, he said, don't forget what I told Moses. Don't forget his word. It's simple. It's basic. It's not complicated. Anybody can do it. How to stop the spiritual slide? Remember his word. Be in his word. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Maybe I share too much. This morning I got up. I get up on Sundays about 545 and pray. And I pray. I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying for the service. And, And today, you know, it was like 7... 7.30 and and, uh, I crawled back into bed. I'm like, oh, it's warm and toasty here. I turned to Tammy. I said, do you think they'd miss us if we didn't show up today? (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, 
no, but I'm excited about going to church. I went misses for the world because I get to be with you all. That's the way God feels. Let's remember his word and restore the relationship. Do you know Elijah the prophet is coming and he's going to preach this message of repentance? And do you know that was the prophecy about John the Baptist? John the Baptist came and, and challenged the people to get right with God because the Pharisees, the legalistic people, had turned the Judaism into a, a what's the right word? Just into a legalistic, ritualistic form without the relationship. And come back. See, if God gets the heart, he gets the behavior. If he just gets the behavior, he doesn't get the heart. And God says, I would rather have an obnoxious child and get their heart than have a child that does everything I ask them to do but obnoxious in the inside. 